It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon is tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon Easter Series 4 Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. And it's been another week of utter chaos for the government. As we record this episode, we understand the Chancellor has cut short his trip to the States and is returning to Blighty. He's now doing U-turns on an aeroplane. We hear he's back and possibly going to retract some of that mini-budget. Again, let's speak to our man, who is, of course, in a permanent state of trying to withhold a snigger or two. He is the green entrepreneur and environmentalist, Dale Vince. You can't write this stuff, Dale. You can't. Well, you could, right? But it would seem a little bit extreme. I mean, you know, I, I wonder sometimes quite, quite if we're living in like the matrix, you know, and the reality depends on which pill you've taken, red or blue, you know. And and at the same time, it feels like we're in a bit of a mad hat's tea party as well. Maybe it's a blend of the two, you know, because it, it just goes from crazy to crazier, doesn't it, what this yeah, government yeah. are doing? What's interesting about this, these aren't kind of like Rishi Sunak supporters on the back benches causing trouble. These are some of her own ministers talking about this. You know, it, it seems that they've kind of done what governments don't usually do. And her and her chancellor have sort of sat in a room and cooked up these plans and said, you know, what's going to look good? What's going to sound good? And they've come up with this absolute bollocks of a mini budget. And the whole thing is backfiring by the hour. I know it's, it's it's just incredible, and and you know, she's barely been in the job for a month, right? She's tanked the pound, you know, destroyed our reputation abroad for like economic competence, and already our own uh, backbenchers and frontbenchers, I think, are toying with the idea of getting rid of her. And how crazy could that be? After a story month? today, yeah, the, the, two, two headlines. I mean, remember these are conservative supporting newspapers, the Daily Mail, seventeen days. You've got Liz Trust, say Conservative. <laughs> so they're giving us 17 days. And, and the other story on the front of the Times, which is perhaps even more damning, is a suggestion there's a plot to replace her and the Chancellor with Rishi Sunak and Penny Morden. Wow. I was going to say, but with who? But you've just given me the answer. That's supposedly. I mean, obviously, everybody involved denies, no, we don't know what you're talking about, never heard. But that story didn't come out of nowhere, right? No. I mean, what's really what's really mad about this is Liz Truss has no mandate, no mandate at all, let alone for the most extreme economic policies we've probably ever seen. It's more extreme than Thatcher, I reckon. And she has no mandate. You know, at least with Johnson, nothing happened. All we got was scandals. And with, with Truss, we've got the quite opposite, you know, just just crazy lashing out down this extreme right-wing road yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, of theory, right? And the idea of tax cuts growing in our economy is, is uh, just completely disproven globally. It's never happened anywhere. Right? But, yeah, well, I heard a Labour MP yesterday echo that. He said, you know, he was in Parliament when Thatcher was there, and he said she would never have done this because <laughs> she, you wouldn't be able to afford it. So she'd have just said no. Yeah. Uh, it would have been as simple as that. A major would have said no, and Blair would have said no, Brown would have said no. Liz Truss went, yes. <laughs> what the it's hell? Mad. It's just mad. There's also, I noticed, did you see the Liz Truss and Reese Mogg talking about renewables? I haven't seen them talking about it. I've seen there's a clash coming over solar. Is that what you mean? Indeed, yeah. What's going on here? 
Well, oddly enough, it looks like Rhys Mogg has come out to bat for solar. He's saying, actually, and this is really interesting to me, he's saying it would be unconservative to tell farmers what they can and can't do on their land. And I love that because I was saying that yesterday when Liz Truss came out and said uh, what she did about solar. I mean, it's bonkers what she said. She said, uh, like, uh, she wants to give farmers the choice. Therefore, she's going to ban solar on their land uh, as if they're being forced to put solar on there at the moment. And she's going to somehow solve this problem with a ban. It's all kinds of mixed up, right? I mean, that's properly like a Mad Hatter's Tea Party, right? Um, yeah. I'm going to give you choice by taking away your choice. Uh, yes, here's a choice as long as you don't pick that one. Yeah, and Rhys Mogg is right. He's come out and said, well, that's, well, I mean, I don't know if it's unconservative or not, but he's right to point out that that's taking away the choice. And actually, he also said that he's not anti-green energy. And this is a bit like, wow, now I'm feeling weird, right? Because... <laughs> because he said, he said, we've got to have as much green energy as we can get. And I'm like, oh, my God, reality's melting in front of me. He could be our new champion in the Tory party. I mean, Wouldn't it, that be funny? Yes. And if he sees off this solar ban, then like fair play to him because it, it'll be so damaging. You know, 20 billion of investment, according to the FT, up in smoke. And, of course, it's the fastest way we can build energy right now to fill in the, the energy gap that we have and the cheapest and the cleanest. So, yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't make sense to do it. And Rhysmog suddenly seems to be on our side. If, if this was a sitcom, Dale, it would now cut to a scene of you standing next to Jacob on a podium with a big loud hailer <laughs> saying, cut the fog, vote Reese Mogg. I can see it now. Yeah. As, as he crosses the Rubicon to, to join the revolution. Imagine, <laughs> imagine. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about another aspect of climate change, human scale of human-driven species loss. I mean, you've talked about this forever. We've touched on this on this podcast for the last couple of years on the, the, the loss of species. doesn't get mentioned often enough, frankly, but it's the story has always been there, and this uh, latest development really does lay bare the problem. Yeah. I mean, it's a study from, I don't know, nearly 100 scientists uh, around the uh, the depletion of species around the world. A very big study. They're saying that since 1970, there's been a roughly 70% drop globally. 70% of all wildlife has gone. In the Caribbean, Latin America, and uh, the Amazon, the figure's way worse. It's 94%, which is crazy a mere 18% in Europe. But in total, what they're saying is, it's like losing the human population of Europe, the Americas, Africa, and China, all just That's disappearing. Insane. And and this is what we're doing to wildlife by taking land for farming to, to grow animals, to feed ourselves. And uh, I love the study that Oxford did a couple of years ago now that said if we stop eating animals, we free up 75% of all farmland, which is, which is nearly half the planet. Uh, by, by land mass, which uh, is so important that we do that, right? Because we're in the sixth great extinction, the biggest extinction of species on our planet since the dinosaurs went under. That's extraordinary. And you, you'd think, I, I guess what is uh, disappointing about this, just take our own government out of it. It's hard to find a government around the world that is taking this seriously. It is, actually, <laughs> especially in the most affected zones. Like Correct. Well, right. I mean, they, they, they have, I mean, this whole kind of logging fascination and, you know, chopping down forests, which I, when we were kids, Dale, you know, we remember those headlines and, mm. you know, we realise how much was being taken, you know, talking of the Amazon in particular. And although they said it had stopped, it didn't really stop. And there's, there's too much money in it for various governments. And one would assume... I want to malign people unfairly, but, you know, a few brown envelopes in the process. 
Well, yeah, I'm sure it's all about the money, and it's it's their natural resource, isn't it? I mean, it's the thing they've got to cash in, and well, I, right, yeah. I do think it's hypocritical of us because you know we've cashed ours in a long time ago. Well, that's exactly their their argument, isn't it? So, well, hang on a sec, you know, you've been doing this for eighty years, and <laughs> we're suddenly trying to do what we can do that is our best chance of of financial survival. So you you kind of hear the argument, but. Maybe we have to move above that, but we'll watch with interest. Here's a question from Liam on Twitter who says, where do you stand now that there's a windfall tax on renewable energy? Is that good too? Well, look, in principle, it is, and and it should apply the windfall tax anywhere where there are super profits. But in practice, the way the government are going about this is just all kinds of wrong. So what they're proposing uh, is actually a price cap on renewables, um, whereas you've got some kind of windfall tax on the North Sea. The, the North Sea windfall tax was really quite mild with huge exceptions, like up to 90% tax avoidance if you uh, invest in stuff. Uh, there's no such thing in this price cap for renewables. And um, they're two different things. If you cap revenue uh, via pricing or you or you tax profits, they're very two different things. But also they want to let Drax off the hook, this huge ex-coal burning, now Canadian tree burning monstrosity that's making uh, gargantuan sums of money because they're firing up new boilers now because of the energy crisis. And that stuff won't be under long-term contracts. So the, the real Achilles heel of the government's plan is that just about all generators sell their energy long term. So they fix their price before the war. So they aren't making bumper profits. New new capacity now will get a will get a war price and be making bumper profits. And so uh, that's a bit of a jumble sale of arguments. But what I want to say is essentially we should have a tax where there are super profits, but why the focus is on renewable energy and why it's such a harsh approach compared to the North Sea? Why isn't there a price cap on North Sea gas? Just make it equal, you know, be consistent, be transparent, be fair, and let's tax super profits where they occur and let's price cap everything. Yeah. And of course, the energy companies often, the, the response they come back with is, is that, look, you know, we've got some super profits now. Half an hour ago, we were in the red. So, you know, it, it might look good, but this is about long term. It's about investment. So mm-hmm. we have to plan for the future. So these big numbers are very seductive for the uh, for, for the tax man. However, they might not always be like that. That seems to be their argument. Though. Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure the oil industry is ever really in the red. So on the day, Liz Truss announced her energy bill intervention, which will probably cost $150 billion by the next election, which it runs yeah. to. The Treasury announced that oil and gas companies in the North Sea are going to make $170 billion in excess profits, not normal ones, excess ones. And you can see that we could pay for one with the other. And actually, the profits on the one hand are coming from the other side. But by borrowing money to maintain the status quo, this trust is effectively giving public money to the oil and gas companies to make just, um, I mean, what are they going to do with it? You know, they had a BP, so we're like a cash machine right now. Then they went and bought all kinds of shares back and paid off debt. They just didn't know what to do with it. So so much money that didn't know what to do with it. Again, you can't write this stuff. Uh, Here's a phrase we hear a lot. What about China? Uh, Every time there is, of course, a debate on what we should be doing, whether it's insulating our homes, and we'll come to that in a second. But what about China seems to be the kind of the the mantra of the day. And and you've said this consistently. Actually, China are perhaps making more progress on things than we realize. Yeah, absolutely. This is what I always say. You've just got to look at what China are doing, the rate of the building of wind energy, for example, and solar. And of course, they also manufacture most of the world's solar in their country. So our own industry and our own pathway to net zero depends on Chinese industry. But anyway, forget all of that. The news that we're talking about is that China have unveiled this new method of storing energy. It's basically compressed air, but super 
super cold compressed air. And they've just built a 100 megawatt scheme. And it's got a 70% round trip efficiency, which is incredible. And what they're saying is that we need a lot of storage to be 100% green on the grid. And at the moment, the big way to do that appears to be lithium ion batteries. There could be a shortage of lithium coming. There definitely is a price spike happening. And they're saying, uh, we need other ways to do this. They've been researching it for a few years. And, you know, we've been hearing about stuff like this in Britain as well. CAES is the acronym for it. But they built one and 70% efficient. I mean, I just think it's amazing. And so, yeah, it's like, what about China? <laughs> have a good yeah. look. Have a good look. Actually, China are doing good things. Meanwhile, over the water, Dale, what's going on with OPEC? Brilliant. And in my book, I said that uh, this global market for energy that we subject ourselves to is openly manipulated by cartels like OPEC, right? And I remember having a conversation with some Tory MP about this. And he said, I did O-level economics and markets are governed by supply and demand. I'm like, but yes, but like supply can be manipulated. OPEC, in the teeth of this biggest energy crisis probably ever, have cut production. Why have they done that? Because they want the price to go higher. And America's really pissed off. It uh, looks like they may now ostracize uh, Saudi Arabia. And suddenly they're talking about, well, maybe we'll have sanctions over the war that they're fighting in the Yemen, right? Oh, hallelujah. Hundreds of thousands of peoples have died. That war's being fought with American weapons. But when OPEC cuts oil production, then maybe it's not so good. Question from Emma on Facebook. Dale, why don't you think the government is doing more to help make homes energy sufficient? Why no grants for solar and stuff that might help us out of this hole? Well, I don't know why up until now, but interestingly, going back to the Rees-Mogg story, he said he's looking at ways to help homes install solar panels with cheap loans. I mean, oh my God, it's another one of those moments where reality wobbles. This, this Is this the same man? I mean, is, there another, <laughs> is there another Jacob Rees-Mogg? Can we check? <laughs> But a brother there or something <laughs> yeah, with the same name. A good brother, right? The, the, the not evil other twin. <laughs> <laughs> so it's happening. I think the government are going to get serious about this. Uh, that's how it appears. Anyway, they say so at the moment. Question from Zoe on Facebook who says, uh, can you see a point where charging an electric car becomes more expensive than fossil fuels? Uh, does that kill adoption dead? And, of course, there is a lot of talk about this at the moment with the cost of electricity. Mm. That, And depending on which report you read, some people take a worse scenario and say it's actually now more expensive to charge certain cars than it is to fill up with petrol. don't think that is actually true. No. But certainly people are looking for those narratives, perhaps in order to back up their, their addiction to uh, – mm. To petrol? No, I don't think it's remotely true. I mean, you sp you're talking about nearly 100 quid to fill up a big car these days, petrol car, petrol diesel. And, uh, you know, by comparison, maybe a 10 or maybe 15 quid to fill up an electric car. And the price of electricity is tied to the price of oil and gas. That's just how our system works. And so they will go up and down together. You know, electricity at the moment is probably 40 odd pence at home on the motorways. I think it's just gone up to 60 pence, but you can understand why there's a differential because it's big hardware for fast charging, uh, but it's still way, way cheaper than uh, petrol or diesel cars. Yeah. Are we likely to find ourselves in a place where that might happen? I don't think so, because of the link between the price of oil and gas and the price of electricity, because we make 40% of our electricity from gas. The price of gas is tied to the price of oil, and the price of all other electricity is tied to the price of gas electricity. It's a, it's a bit of a clusterfuck, really, uh, of, of a market. Uh, but that may change one day. I mean, it needs to change. We need to break all of those links. Um, make everything independent so that we only pay what we need to pay. But as we get more and more renewable energy on the grid, electricity is going to get cheaper and cheaper. What about hydrogen? I mean, I, know, I think we've touched on this before, but I, every time we talk about it on the radio, I always get a flurry of calls uh, from people saying, well, you know, electric cars aren't the future. Hydrogen is the future. <laughs> I, I find this 
amusing because it's almost like there's something in our psyche that makes us look past what's here now uh, to something slightly mythical and liberating that's the future, uh, like the hydrogen car or the hydrogen economy or carbon capture and storage, right? That'll solve the problem. We can keep burning fossil fuels and just capture all that carbon and stick it underground. You know, we look past what we've got right here today. Electric cars are amazing. The performance of them, the efficiency, the round-trip efficiency is something in, in the order of 90%. You know, it's the most incredible vehicle that we've ever had, actually. The round-trip efficiency of a hydrogen car it's going to be near a 50%. They don't make sense compared to battery cars. And I think there's a role for hydrogen in the green economy. Uh, I think we can make hydrogen when we've got too much renewable energy and we can store the energy as hydrogen. We can release it as electricity later, or we can put it into the gas grid, mix it up with our green gas. There's lots of things we can do with hydrogen, but the idea of a hydrogen economy and hydrogen cars is a bit mythical in my opinion. Uh, and now it's time for this. Uh, that, of course, means only one thing. It's fracking corner. And let's start with Tory Lancashire Council questioning the government on fracking. Mm, yeah, fair question, right? The government have said it will only go ahead where it has public support. And Lancashire County Council have said, well, how does that work? right? How do we measure public support? Can you tell us what's the mechanism? Of course, the government can't because they don't know. And the council have also said, and will you also ensure or confirm that we can make the planning decision. Let the county councils make the planning decision. That's got to be one way to make sure that it has local public support. But silence so far from the government. But fair play to them. Well, no, nobody seems... I mean, there's another story. Tory MPs in talks with Labour to ban fracking. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost <laughs> seems there's about three people and a dog that support fracking. So most MPs, including most Tories, local authorities... Yeah. Uh, local populations and, and yeah, residents. Yeah. So uh, does anybody support oh, this? Even the founder of Quadrilla, right? Uh, yeah, he came out, didn't he, and said this is all bollocks. This isn't going to so, work here. He said, I'm a fracking fan, but not in Britain. Yeah, yeah, he had, and he, he laid out why it won't work in this country. And yet there is a, a sort of a fascination. I, I think it was just, it goes back to exactly what Liz and Quasi are doing with the finances, isn't it? They, they came up with every headline, every soundbite that so, thought sounded very conservative to placate you know a few of those old duffers that voted for them and fracking was central yeah it's all under our feet we can frack the out of the place and everything will be hunky-dory and of course it uh it, it isn't hunky-dory and now they're kind of having to sort of row back a little bit saying well you know we local consent and all the rest of it it's not going to happen is it it's really not going to happen it was always the get-out clause. When Liz Trust said it was coming back, as long as it had local consent, I saw that as the biggest caveat you could ever write for fracking, certainly, because it's always had anything but local consent. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? In the States, it, I mean, I know you wouldn't support it. What, what do we know about, just to put some meat on that particular bone, Dale? What, 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 why is there a difference? What is the fundamentals that divide the ability to frack in the States and not the UK? Well, I'm going to quote the head of Quadrilla here because I think he's got credibility. They've got different geology to ours. Uh, it's safer to frack. And, of course, they've got a much bigger country with, with less dense uh, population centers where they need to frack. I mean, they just don't have people out in the middle of nowhere, and so they can frack and it can't upset anybody, and, and they've got different geology. I mean, they're two fundamental things. We're a small, densely packed island, and our geology is completely different to America. Moment on football. I think we should have a moment on football. <laughs> okay, we must. <laughs> Let's start with last weekend. Yeah, the, the, why not? That's a good moment for football. Beating Bolton 1-0, is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there you go. I mean, that's the direction of travel, right? 
Yeah, brilliant. I mean, it really was. We played super well. Uh, it was it was great to see, and you know, it shows what we're capable of. We we had, I think, at least one key player come back into the squad. We could have another one this Saturday. We're still missing about three, so it's a kind of work in progress. But um, it showed us how we can play when it all comes together, and uh, it gives us all great hope, actually. Yeah, uh, Port Vale tomorrow, right? Port Vale tomorrow, and they're always tough. They were tough in League Two as well. So it'll be a tough game. Lovely people, though. The people that run the club, they do really great things in the community there. You're too generous, Dale. <laughs> no, there are lovely people in football. There really are. There's some. <laughs> yeah, not, not, all. not all. True. Final one from Matt. He says, I heard you on the New Statesman podcast and thought you were a breath of fresh air. So I'm now listening to this podcast, the Fool's Gold series, and going back into the archives. Yeah, what can I say? Uh, that's fabulous. Thanks for telling us, Matt. And, you know, I really enjoyed the New Statesman uh, chat, and um, as I do most of them, actually. You know, we just get me started on energy and all that kind of stuff, and uh, and I'm off like the, the bunny with the Duracell batteries. Fantastic. I don't know how many of these we've done now, but there's probably a hundred or more to, ah. to look back on over the last couple of years. So Matt's got a lot of time to, uh, to, to digest <laughs> a lot of us wittering on. Nice one. All good stuff. Have a cracking week, Dale. We'll speak next week. Yeah, thanks, Ian. See you later. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically and leave a review there too. Follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, also on TikTok and Insta as well. Zero carbon east off.